Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark. And uh, before we start our, our time together this morning, I just, or this evening, fast forward a little bit, um, uh, it was just impressed upon me, uh, this is just for somebody here, I don't even know uh, who it is, but I just, I feel like God wanted me to, to just tell you that it's going to be okay. And it's not for everybody, because it might not be okay for everybody, but there's somebody here uh, that just needed to hear whatever you're going through, it's going to be okay. So I just, when I feel like God wants me to share something, uh, I share it, and I don't understand why I'm sharing it, but somebody here needs to hear that, and you're going to be okay. Okay? Well, we're in the... uh, uh, tenth week, I believe, of a series while we're, we're, we're going through the book of Mark where we're trying to answer these, these two questions. The first question, who is Jesus? Who, who, who do you say He is, not what other people say He is? And then the other question is based on, on that answer. Who or what does it mean to follow this Jesus? And we've come up with uh, several different answers that we've We've pulled out a scripture from people who have interacted with Jesus. Some people call him a teacher, a healer, a, a rabbi. Some have called him crazy. Some have called him possessed by Satan. Others have, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Last week we talked about how, you know what, Jesus was human. So we've been talking about these, these different things. And, and you know, coming, coming to a place, coming to a location, you know, that, that you, you go on a journey. And that's specific, exactly what we've been doing together. We've been going on a journey to hopefully, with everyone who's gone on this journey, be able to settle once and for all in our lives these questions of who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? A few weeks ago when Pastor Eric taught, he talked about following the signs and going specifically to Disney World. And he would say that it would be ridiculous to, to be on the way to Disney World and to stop at one of the signs and get the whole family out of the car and take pictures and, and celebrate being at the sign. Well, the equally is true. If you actually get to the destination and because there isn't a sign that, that, you know, because the destination itself is it, you have arrived, you do not need any more signs because you have gotten there. When I was uh, in Paris several years back and I wanted to find the Eiffel Tower, it was very easy to find. I, I, I kind of followed the signs, but then after a while, I could see it. And once I got there, there was no sign to be around because it was pretty obvious. Picture of the Eiffel Tower that I had arrived to the Eiffel Tower. And and it just it was self evident that it, that and it would have been ridiculous for me to just kind of look at him like oh, I I don't I don't know I don't know if I I I I need a sign to actually legitimize this as being the Eiffel Tower and and, and I was thinking okay well what other landmarks would you actually know 
that you have arrived, like this one. If you were standing in front of this, next slide. The Great Wall of China. I was talking to my mom. My mom was there. And I said, Mom, when you, when you got to the Great Wall of China, was there a big sign on the wall that says, this is the Great Wall of China? And she said, well, it may have been in Chinese, but I did not see any sign. It just kind of was obvious that we had arrived. How about this next one? If you were in Italy and you saw this, yeah, Lean Town of Pisa. I mean, is there like, like, you would be there and you'd see all the, the buildings standing straight and then you would see this one that was tilted over. You'd know that you had gotten there. How about this one? Amen. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I'm going to go to the... Somebody this morning said, said Empire State Building. They needed a sign. <laughs> this... I think they just blurted it out, and, and unfortunately, it was not the right answer. Uh, uh, that would be the Statue of Liberty. Uh, next one, Taj Mahal. I mean, just if you were standing at, at these places, that, that you would realize that you had finally arrived at your destination, and no other information would be needed. Now, this is important. Because if you open up your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, so they came and started to argue with Him. They didn't come to spend time with Him. They didn't come to learn from Him. They didn't, they didn't come to experience in, in, uh, Him and, and, and explore who He is. They actually came for the specific purpose to argue theology and doctrine with Jesus. So they come and they find Jesus and they're, they're, they're so wrapped up in the law and the signs and, and everything that, they're, that they're, they're arguing with Jesus because they think that his doctrine or his theology is off base. Testing him, they demanded that he showed them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply. Last week he just sighed, but this time he's like sighing from just the depths of his soul. I just I can't imagine how frustrating this could have been. Like him like going, well, so you need another sign. So the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, not good enough for you. The, the, the sign of me healing the death or, or healing the, the woman who had been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years or, or casting out demons or, or, or actually raising people from the dead. That you need one more sign. He must have been so frustrated that he just lead, lets out this, this deep science like, what what is going on? It'd be like if we were all in Paris and 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 we were standing under the Eiffel Tower and we went up to some French person there uh, and and we said, "Where's the Eiffel Tower?" And they actually understood us, and they would just be like, oh. "I mean, it would just like, especially if they were asked all the time." They just did, and then they would say something in French, and we wouldn't know. And, and it would just, you know, at some point, 
You have to realize that you have arrived at your destination. And the signs have done their job. They have gotten you there. But at some point, you have to realize that you have arrived. When he heard this, he deep, sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding miraculous signs? And then I love what he says next. says, I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. I totally, as a parent, get this. Like my kids, this is something I would do. My kids, like, they'll get fixated on something. They must get that from their mother. Uh, that, that they'll be like, Papa, Papa, you know, can we have some frozen yogurt? You know, like, my, like maybe, you know, if it's, okay, can we get some frozen yogurt? At some point, I will get so frustrated that I'll say, children of mine, hear me now. I decree that it is my life's work to make sure that the taste of frozen yogurt never crosses your lips ever again. You have frustrated me to the point where I can't take it anymore. And, and, and Jesus is sitting here and is like, no sign for you. You know, just like, it, it is over. I, you, I have been giving you signs, sign after sign after sign, and you are standing under the Eiffel Tower, and you are yet asking me for another sign, and you are coming up with the wrong answer to the question. And it's interesting as, as, as he looks at, it looks at that. And, and the, the Pharisees, they're so fixated on the, on the signs and, uh, the, because that's what they've been doing their whole life is, is following the signs of, of the prophets and, and looking for this Messiah. And they got so fixated on it that they actually don't even know that they have arrived and the Messiah is, is standing right in front of him. You know, I, I know America loves uh, disorders and, and things like that. And I believe that there's an emerging disorder that, that is coming out. It's, it's GPS fixation disorder. And, and I was first-handed uh, experienced this a couple of years ago. I was in Portland, Oregon. I was at a, at a cohort for my school. And at the hotel, there was another guy staying there. And every morning, I would get up and I would go for my morning run. And I was there actually a, a couple of days early. So the first day, he had actually rented a car. And we were going to go to class. He go, you want to catch a ride? I'm like, yeah, that's sure. It was after my, my morning run and everything. And, and in my morning run, I would pass a Starbucks. It wasn't too far away. And uh, so we get in the car. I'm like, hey, you know, you mind stopping and getting some Starbucks on the way? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, that, no problem. That, that would be great. I'd like a cup of coffee as well. And he's all like, I got this GPS. Uh, I'll just plug it in. Like, it'll find a Starbucks and and it'll take us right to it. I go, it's no problem. I, I run by, I've run by one every morning. I know exactly where it is. And uh, I'll just take you there. And, and, and he's all like, no, 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 no. You know, this, this, will, this is great. You know, you'll, you'll love this. And he's typing all that. I mean, it's taking forever. And he's putting the Starbucks and he's finding it and everything. I'm like, whatever. Okay, well, we'll go there. So we're driving out. I'm like, it's just to the left. And, he's, and like, as soon as I said that, the dumb thing goes, Turn right now. And he's like, oh, it says to go right. And I'm like, but it's left. 
It's, it's just down the street. I've been there. Like, you could, like, not follow me for lots of different reasons, and, and you'd probably be justified in it, but if I'm going to get coffee in the morning, you can be rest assured I'm the most reliable person in the, on the planet to get you from the shortest point, from point A to point B, to get you caffeinated. I declare that here today. So we're sitting here, <laughs> we're sitting here, and dude turns right. I've never met this guy before. I mean, it's like the first time we met, I'm like, oh, really? You know, so we're going along, and, he, and he's driving off, and I'm like, well, it's not too bad. We'll be able to hook around and, and all this kind of stuff. And this is going on and on and on. And then finally he gets up where, he, you know, he's, he's about, about three-quarters of a mile up the street. And I could see it because I knew where it was and I was looking for the little mermaid and in the green sign and I'm like, there it is. And he's all like, he's like, I, I, I think we passed it. I'm like, we didn't pass it. It's right there. I can smell it. Let me out. Is there an eject, emergency eject in this car? Please don't listen to the dumb GPS anymore. Open up your eyes and look at the sign, the, the, the thing, it's not even a sign, just look, we're there. And he was just so, it was such a frustrating experience. And, and, and I, I just, I, Jesus must be just sitting there, it's like at some point, just open your eyes and realize you are in the very presence of God. So, he leaves there and they go to a place called Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. You see what Jesus is doing? He did this last week too. People were, were when they were asked, who is Jesus? People were coming up with the answer, he's the miracle man. He's the healer. And Jesus is like, you know what? These external signs of my, of my power are not helping anybody anymore. That they're, they're, they're not assisting people in seeing who I truly am. And then he starts moving his ministry from, from this, this public signs ministry to the, the, the intimate ministry of dealing with somebody on a real, quiet personal level outside of the sight of others. So he leads the blind man out and then spitting on the man's eyes. I'll just say that's gross. He laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? And the man looked around and said, yes. And we're all excited at this point. He said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Trees, people looking like trees. This is like on the miracle scale. This is like, you know, a D plus maybe. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's passing. The guy was totally blind, but now he sees people, but they look like trees. And, and, and you're sitting there, it's, we're not used to this in the Bible. We're not. We're used to Jesus touching somebody and, 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 and they're healed and, and everything's good. But Jesus here, 
you know, puts the spit on the guy's eyes and, and we're expecting big things, but guy's not 100% healed. There's actually some stages to this. And then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were opened and his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back in the village on your way home. Why, why did God let us know that there was a progression in this healing? You know, why? You know, what, what does it matter? Maybe if you and I were writing a gospel or recounting the story. We just, I mean, the important thing is the guy was healed, right? That the guy, his sight was fully restored. Maybe not. Maybe the really important thing here is that there was actually stages in his healing. I think so often that, that you know, in the, in the selling of Jesus, the, the sham wow Jesus, that we're, we're, we're coming to Jesus and he's, you know, he's sold to us as, as the sham wow product that we talked about that a few weeks ago. You, you, you know, you spill the cola on the, on the carpet and, and you, you tap it down with your sham wow and it pulls up the cola and everything is as good as new. But sometimes it's just not that simple. Sometimes there's stages in healing. I remember when I came to Christ, when I was able to answer the question, who is Jesus? Uh, I was 24 years old. And my dad told me, hey, you need to do three things. You need to find a good church that's going to support you, a community, a fellowship of believers. You need to get a a mentor, discipling relationship, someone who's going to challenge you and keep you accountable. The third thing is you need to go and see a counselor. You got to go and help unpack this stuff inside you. And I remember going to the the counselor and week one, you know, it was cool. Week two, week three. I think by the by the fourth week, you know, I, I sat down with my counselor and I and I said, counselor, I just want to be fixed. I want to be healed. I just want to be normal. I'm, I don't want the anxiety anymore. I don't want the depression. I don't, I don't want the, 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 the anger issues. I don't want all of this stuff. <laughs> I'll never forget what he told me. Looked at me and he said, Mark, it took you 24 years to get this screwed up. It's probably going to take that long to get even back to neutral. I have eight more years, just to let you know. So this is a journey, right? It's a journey of, 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 of healing. And the truth is that, that there's been stages in my healing. There's been stages in, in, in my refinement. I'm not the same person I was even five years ago or three years ago. That, 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 that you know what, when... when I gave my life to Jesus. You know what? I saw things. I saw people as like blurry moving trees. And he has systematically, as I walked with him, revealed other things to me through his healing power and healed other areas 
uh, in my life that were broken. You know, it's, it's, it, I was thinking about this, the whole stages of healing thing, and, and there's, there's different stages even before you being healed that, that there's actual steps. The, the first step is, is just realizing that you're sick or there's a, a potential problem. You know, breast cancer deaths in America have decreased dramatically. You know why? Screenings. Just, just awareness that, that this is an issue. And, and responsible women will go and, and they, they will go and get screened at, at, the, at the right age and on, on the right you know, recommended interval. And what happens by, by just realizing there's a potential for sickness here, that, that you know what, they can catch breast cancer early enough to, to, to save that person's life and, and, and save the family. You know, Shannon just ran uh, the breast cancer marathon two weekends ago uh, um, for, 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 you know, to raise support and awareness for breast cancer. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to go, but she says it was amazing to see all the cancer survivors and their families and, and, and then also those who, who had been conquered uh, by by this, this dreadful disease and just how that had been a catalyst to, to get the word out. You know, just, just you know, realizing that, hey, you know what, I have a sickness that I need to go to a doctor. That, that, that you know, that I need help outside of myself. That's the first stage in, in healing. The second one is um, you know going to get the help, and then the third one is actually accepting that help. You know, it's one thing to realize that you're sick, or or you have the potential of 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 being sick. But, you know, it's another thing to actually make the appointment. I hate making appointments with doctors. I don't know why. I just I don't like to do it. You know, it's a you know it's something that you have to do and to make some room in your day and go. But the third thing is, you know, you got you got to accept that. Help. I read an article and it just it absolutely blew me away. Do you realize that 50% of the prescriptions written in America are never filled? Yeah. 50%. These are people who realized there was a problem in their life. They went through the time to make an appointment and go to that appointment to see a doctor, someone that can help them. The doctor said, yes, you do have a problem. Here is the prescription. And half the people that walk out of the office never fill it. Blows me away. Blows me away. Next stage of healing is actually just completing the, the treatment. The world is facing an epidemic that we may not survive and that's that's antibiotic resistance i this is scary stuff like i start reading it and i'm like i gotta stop reading this because it's just freaking me out so i'm going to tell you about it <laughs> you know we when we're given antibiotics you know these are you know meant to kill the bacteria that that is causing the infection or or the sickness and you know on the bottle what does it say what are you told 
Finish it all. Take the whole thing. Why? Because if we, we stop taking it when we feel better, the bacteria might be dead in us but, or, or not able to affect us anymore, but it's still a living and it builds up resistance to those antibiotics. And, and that bacterial strain goes out and no longer, and, and infects, and that no longer can that antibiotic kill that bacteria because it has built up resistance. And as we continue doing this to ourselves, we're coming to the end of, of you know, the a- antibiotics that, that are, can be out there. And it's eventually going to maybe kill us all. But we have to complete the treatment. Because not only does it affect us, but it affects everyone around us. And then finally, uh, that, we, that we need to create a, a, a healthy life balance, a healthy pattern of life. That we know things today that we didn't know as, as kids. You know, we know about, about germs and stuff. Like, it's so, like, interesting to me. Like, when people cough nowadays, like those people who are, who are like, enlightened and in tune, how do you cough now? Yeah, like that, right? You didn't do that, you know, like 10 years ago or something. It's, it's something that we're, as a society, we're all like, you know what, that we know we're not meant to touch our nose and our eyes. Look at me, I'm living dangerous. And, and, uh, and all these kind of things. You know, we have anti, or the, the, the hand wipe stuff. You know, we have all this stuff. When I was a kid, you know, we, the, the whole germ thing, I mean, it was just, you know, whatever, you know. It was, wasn't a big deal. In fact, I was thinking, when I was like, Five years old, my mom totally freaked out on this story this morning. It's so funny. Uh, uh, she was here for hearing it the first time. Uh, me and my friend, Joe Vickers, and we lived on Vickers Street, but they didn't name it after him. He hadn't done anything at that point. Joe Vickers and I, we watched uh, like a, a cowboy. Now it'd be like a Native American movie. Yeah. Uh, and and this in this cowboy Native American movie, that that this cowboy and this Native American like they got really tight, right? And uh, they like loved each other and they are like brothers. And 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 the Native American guy goes, the cowboy guy is like, hey, you know what? We need to become blood brothers. Oh yeah, what's that and everything? So what they did was they they cut their their palms. You're aware of this, right? They cut their palms and they put their palms together and, and they, they bound their, their hands together and became blood brothers. Well, me and Joe Vickers, like, dude, we're like five years old, but we're so tight, we need to become blood brothers. And it like sounded like such, a, such an awesome idea. So, so Joe and I, you know, we, we get a knife out of the kitchen and, and we go into the, uh, we go into the, the garage and, and uh, we're sitting there and, you know, since he was my, my guest, uh, I offered him the knife to go first. <laughs> See, I was brought up properly. And, and, and Joe looks at it and he's like, you know what's just as good as Blood Brothers? I'm like, what? Popsicle Brothers. I'm like, what's Popsicle Brothers? He's like, well, in old school, Popsicles, 
they had two sticks, right? Yeah. I, you know, like the fruit popsicles, nothing like that. I mean, it was like sugar, water, and food coloring. Yeah, okay. This is what, so we get one of these, these popsicle things out, and we bust it in half. We both have you know, our popsicles, and, you know, we slurp on it, and then we took our popsicles, and we rubbed them together, and then we ate the rest of our popsicles. And Joe Vickers and I are popsicle brothers to this day. I haven't talked to him in like 35 years, but we have that. <laughs> but you think about it, you're all like groaning and everything because you wouldn't do that nowadays. I mean, that, that would be, you know, the, we all know, you know, germs and everything. That wouldn't be like a healthy pattern of life. So, you know, we look at the, you know, the, the stages of healing. We look at the, 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 that this healing and, it, and it's true in the physical world, but it's also true in our, in our spiritual and emotional life that, that at some point we got to realize that, you know what, we're, we're, we have a brokenness inside us that, 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 that it's outside of our ability to fix. And outside of that, we need to then go and do the discipline to actually sit down with somebody who's farther along, who has the ability to be able to speak truth into our life. And, and to help us find a road to recovery. Once we're put on that road, we can't be like the 50% that never fill their prescription. That we have to be disciplined enough to say, you know what? I'm going to take my medicine. I'm going to take my medicine. And then completing that treatment, so many of us, we, we start out on, the, on, on a spiritual healthy path. You know, we, did, you know, we do the MAP series, 40 days of trying to live out a holistically, uh, holistic life of worship. And you know, we do the life coaching and all these kind of things. And, and, and we try to move forward. But the truth is that many of us, we, we drop off. We don't finish. We don't finish our, our, our treatment. And then finally, for many of us, and this is really the, the sad thing, is once that we get well, we forget what got us sick in the first place. And we don't create healthy boundaries in our lives. We don't, we don't establish a healthy pattern of living and we find ourselves back up to the broken place that we want. In verse 27, it says Jesus and, and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the village near Caesarea Philippi. And they were walking along. Jesus asked them, and I love it, Jesus made my job so easy today. Who do people say I am? Thanks, Jesus. I like it. I don't have to work that in at all. You just did it right there for me. He says, well, the disciples say, well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say that you are one of the other prophets, you know, and the other things that we talked about. And then Jesus turns it right here. He says, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Am I Elijah? Am I John the Baptist? Am I a healer? Am I a teacher? Am I a rabbi? Who do you say that I am? This is really where we've been trying to get to, right? 
who do you say that I am? Well, Peter replied, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. The Messiah actually means anointed one. Essentially, the Eiffel Tower. What all the prophets have done, all the signs leading up to the Messiah. The one who was going to bridge the gap between us, humanity, and the Creator, our Creator. That was foretold for thousands of years before Jesus actually walked this earth. And where the religious people of that day were arguing theology and doctrine in front of the Eiffel Tower, Peter is looking and saying, oh my gosh. Or actually, oh my God, you're here. You are here. We, you are the one we have been waiting for. After that, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. Who's going to reject Jesus? The Pharisees, the people who were meant to be the ones who knew the signs and were going to be able to see him and realize when he was here, the religious people. He said he would be killed, but three days later he raised from the dead. And I love this because this whole identification by, by Peter changed everything with his relationship with Jesus and God. It changed everything. Because at this point, says Jesus talked about this openly with his disciples, that it took the relationship to a whole new level. And after Jesus talking openly with the, with the disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. I, don't, I, I get pictures in my head you know, about, about how things are going. I can just see Jesus and the disciples hanging out. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be you know, brutally killed. And, and I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be rejected. And Peter is all like, Jesus, come here. Come on over here with me. You know, Peter is like applying like the number one leadership principle there is. It's you praise in public and you criticize in private, right? So he, he takes Jesus off and he began to reprimand him quietly. It doesn't go too well for, 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 for Peter here, though. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter publicly. Get away from me, Satan! Can you imagine Peter like, dude, Jesus, I just don't want you to be killed. You know, all this kind of, now you've got to call me Satan and you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's not cool. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. You know what Peter's problem was? He loved Jesus too much. He loved the person of Jesus so much 
that he forgot what he was meant to be about. And that's in Mark chapter 12, which we'll get to during Holy Week. But we are told by Jesus that we are meant to be about worshiping God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. And Peter is right on target with this. But Jesus also tells us that we are to love others as ourselves. And I think that we can be so busy or so in love with Jesus and wanting to bring Him glory that, that we forget to love others ourselves and we just want to we want to just keep Jesus to ourselves. We just want we don't want things to change. We want him to be our little personal Jesus. We don't want bad things that, to happen to him in, in, in Peter's case here. We want, we want him here to attend to our needs and 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 to be with us and, and all this kind of stuff. And this is the emotions that we all kind of go through, but but Jesus is saying, wait a second. <clears throat> You're only thinking about yourself. You're only thinking about your own human needs for fellowship and to be with me, but you've got to realize that there is a whole world out there who needs me as well, and you need to love them as much as you love being with me. And then finally, Jesus answers our second question, what does it mean to be a follower of Him? Calls to His... Uh, the crowd to join his disciples. And he says, look, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is what Jesus is essentially telling us. He is telling us what it takes to be a follower of him. First one is turn from your selfish ways. You want to be a follower of Christ? You have to turn from your selfish ways. I got to tell you, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't even think that it is humanly possible for me, and maybe this is true for you, I'm just being really honest. I don't even know if I could distinguish between what I think is generosity or, or pureness and selfishness, that it's so intertwined. Maybe at best, I can, I can see my selfish ways as, as, as people that look like trees, just blurry. I, I think I can identify it, but I think it's something that is so deeply rooted in us that, it, that it's one of these journey things. That, that it would be so horrific for us to be actually see clearly our selfishness all at once, that it would probably just destroy us. But that's one of the journey parts of, of being a follower of Christ is, is, is putting aside our selfish ambition or even figuring out what that is. The next one is take up your cross and follow Him. And this is so distant for, from our understanding, but, it, but this is what Romans would do. This is what Rome would do. When, when they wanted to make an example of the most horrific criminals, usually political criminals, that, that, 
that were outside of Rome's authority or did not accept Rome's authority, what they would do was they would crucify them on a cross. But they wouldn't just walk them up and up to the hill and, and bang them onto it, nail them onto a cross and put them up. They would actually make the prisoners carry their own instrument of death. They would make them carry that cross through the streets of Rome or, or Jerusalem or wherever they were going to be crucified. So everyone could see. Why? To show that this person who was once outside of the authority of Rome was now in full submission to Rome. And this Jesus is saying, you want to be a follower of me? Here's the imagery. Everybody there had seen this, seen this horrific display. Here's the imagery. You got to put aside your selfish ways and you need to be in full submission and under my authority. Wow. Third thing is, he said, release the claim on your life. Have this vision for your life. I want to be this. I want to do this. But ultimately just saying, you know what? God, I have a, I have a passion to be, be an accountant or I want to, I want to be a business person. But, but really, ultimately, if, if that's your calling on my life, if, if, if you want me to be a follower of you as, as a business person, then, then I'm great. I, I'd love to do that. But if it's something else, I release my claim on that. That I will follow your calling. And then finally, and I, I love this, that, that you know what? All of these things are for one thing. Our purpose has to be about one thing, and that is to be God's agents here on earth, to be the tangible hand of Christ, to be the conduit of God's love and mercy, to show them the good news. What is the good news? That, you know what? There is a God in heaven that cares for you, that wants to have a relationship with you, and that came and paid the price in order for us to have that opportunity to have a restored relationship with our Father in heaven. And we ask the question every week, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And that's what we come up with, turning from our selfish ways to submit to God's authority, to release the claim on our life, and to be about His so as I close tonight, I just want to say that, you know what, the very fact that you are here tonight, as we are trying to answer this question, or I'm trying to help you answer this question of who is Jesus, so you can answer that, the very fact that you are here tonight means that you are an excellent sign reader. You followed the signs. You have arrived to the Eiffel Tower, not the church, but to the feet 
of Jesus. And Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Am I the healer? Am I the teacher? Am I possessed by Satan? Am I crazy? Or am I the Son of God? And then for those of us who have settled that once and for all based on our answer, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean for us to put aside our selfish ambition, to release our claim on our life, to be in submission of him, and to be about his business? What does that mean? You guys pray with me. <laughs> Dear Lord, I just uh, pray for anyone here who has been struggling with answering that question, who you are, that they can just settle once and for all in their minds and their hearts who you are. God, I just want you to just fill them with peace and and just love and let them know that they've done a fantastic job of following the signs that now maybe Jesus is calling through the ages to them just asking, who do you say I am? I know what other people have called me, but who do you say that I am? And then second, for those of us who have already made that declaration, God, just help us work through the challenges of being a follower of you. That you will give us strength where we are weak, perseverance where we want to give up. That we will be great ambassadors of you. That we will bring glory to your name. That we will not only see things on a human level, but we will see things as you see them. Let us never forget that people matter to you and that we are your agents. We are your conduits of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.